Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. ask you about something you said on Friday night in an interview with PBS. You said that you don't think President Trump would be willing to give up his office and that, quote, he thinks that the American people will be duped by him like the people of Germany were duped by Adolf Hitler. Do you really think Donald Trump is comparable? That took place after 1932 in Germany. This country could very well go the way of Germany in the 1930s. I really seriously feel that. During his State of the Union address, Trump told 31 lies. The people of Germany knew it up Hitler was lying. We have to be vigilant against the dark occurrence of this country's history, of our own history. But there are whirlpools of violence, whirlpools of despair. Whirlpools of violence. I know where there's some whirlpools of violence at the moment. And that's um, Portland, Oregon. Among other- oh, are you still going? Sorry about that. There you go. Stop it. Oh, there it is. We'll, uh, I'll have more of that later. This, uh, I forgot just how, just how uh, toxic President Obama could be. Jeez, he was so damaging. Those eight years were so damaging to this country. A lot of people didn't notice it because it's never how the media delivered it. But he's so divisive. In a time like this, too, at a time like right now, he continues to be divisive. President Trump is divisive, too. Don't get me wrong. But President Obama, it was much more sinister because it was never called out. So He was so divisive, it's incredible. The whole thing with the Cambridge police, a racial incident didn't have to be a thing. But it was, because he couldn't shut up about it. I don't know anything about it, but I can tell you the Cambridge police acted stupidly great. Now we've got a race incident where the police were made to look like uh, you know thugs and, and uh, racists and this and that. So since the cop's Irish, you just drag him to the White House and make him sit down for a beer summit. Because the cop's blue collar probably is an idiot, an idiot with an Irish last name. So we'll give him some beer and have a beer summit. That would have been 55 SNL episodes in a row had that been President Trump, who had a beer summit because of his own unforced error during a press conference when somebody asked him something that he didn't know anything about. But that is fine. There's more of this. The thing that's that's interesting is, is what we see happening in the streets now from the Black Lives Matter protests to the, all the riots and then the Portland riots and all this stuff. There is culpability. And you don't have to look far to see who has laid the groundwork for this. For years, one half of the country in almost all of the establishment media has been saying that your neighbor 
the guy, the Republican, the guy who voted for Romney, the guy who voted for George W. Bush, the guy who voted for Dole and voted for uh, H.W. and that guy, they've been telling you that that person is suspect. That person is a racist. That person is uh, is a misogynist. That person believes in genocide. That person is a bad person. And then when there's a Republican president or even a, a nominee candidate, that person's Hitler. It's always Hitler. And if you tell the American people this stuff long enough, and you say it in academia long enough, and you say it in Hollywood, and it's just it's you know cooked into every movie and every TV show, the Aaron Sorkin stuff, all of that, you know, people look at that, they say, wow, that must be what it's like at the White House. All the Republicans are stupid obstructionists who only care about class and killing people, and all the Democrats are good people. Well, you do that long enough, and you're going to have half the country believing it. When elected leaders liken the president to Hitler, all, not only, of course, is that intellectually ridiculously lazy and ignorant, but it's damaging. People believe this stuff. So why not run out into the streets and throw a rock through the window if of the federal courthouse or try to burn it down? If that's just an appendage of the Nazi machine, and why do you think it's a Nazi machine? Because the guy on the news told you, and he's somebody you're supposed to believe, and the guy in in your college professor told you that, and you're paying fifty thousand, or somebody's paying fifty thousand dollars for that, and an elected leader tells you this thing, uh, this stuff. So while everybody who's supposed to be in the truth-telling business has told you that the guy's a Nazi, so he must be a Nazi. Oh my God, we're under siege. The Nazi has ascended, <clears throat> has ascended since 2016. All over the place, elected leaders who are respected, you know, built hotlines to call if you noticed hate crimes, because there would be, obviously, because Trump is a racist Nazi, and all the Trump voters are certainly Nazis, if not just mouth-breathing idiots, but still pernicious. So there you go, you have your racist hotline, and then... And you have to offer counseling to people who believe because they're gay or because they're a minority that they're going to be somehow oppressed or brutalized by President Trump. People believe this. I know clear-thinking people who the day after the election were in an absolute panic for their lives, literally for their lives, even people who had been around politics. It was dumbfounding. This is cultivated. It's been cultivated for years. If you know, I live in a blue state. I live in Massachusetts. So I know what will happen if I go into certain places and say that I'm a Republican. I remember, as a matter of fact, back in 1994, being in a bar, I was only 21 in Brighton, Massachusetts. And I was an idiot for talking politics, but getting into a debate over Bill Clinton, and I was saying like what a jerk he was, and I was all these dudes with Abercrombie, shirts and hats backwards and true 90s style college dudes were yelling at me and in saying uh it's racist you're a racist man you're a racist man and and the, i was happened to be there with a guy who lived in my same house who was a black guy who was saying he's not a racist he's not a racist and the, the black guy he was a real great guy he was not a he was not a he was a pro clinton guy but he was just trying to tell them listen everybody relax because obviously i was being, being yelled at by upper middle class white college kids so this is not a new thing, but this has been cultivated for a long time. I remember one kid saying, what are you, Newt Gingrich? Which was the lamest of all put-downs. I liked Newt Gingrich at the time. But it, So this is not a new, it, it's not a new thing whatsoever. But it, it, this level is a new thing. And the fact now that this has taken to the streets in an existential, you can call it an existential revolution, both cultural, political, and in the streets, is being has been mobilized so that there's violence happening in the streets so that there is um there are entire police precincts that have retreated the streets aren't always owned now uh, you know the streets are owned by the marauders it's craziness but you feed into this you feed into this uh you know thuggery that's going on by these antifa idiots in in portland in in elsewhere by painting their world as unsafe. 
between that and sending kids to college and then coddling them so much so that nothing ever triggers them, it's crazy. So you've got you've trained your kids to panic, and you've painted an artificial world like the holodeck in Star Trek, an artificial world where Nazi stormtroopers and uh, anti-gay, anti-minority, you know, bigots are, are are marching around around every corner. And if you don't hear it, if you don't hear something that's that's said that's rhetoric seems rhetorically uh, dangerous or you know malicious, well, guess what? It's probably hidden. It's probably secret. It's a dog whistle. When Obama's retractors used to talk about Chicago, that was a dog whistle. Oh, we know what that means. That's racist. Everything's a dog whistle. And if somebody doesn't appear to be racist, that doesn't even matter. The system, the system is racist. It's systemic racist. So there's, there's nothing. You, you can't escape it no matter what. And they constantly, constantly cultivate and feed this Nonsense, and it's doing no service <clears throat> to Americans who are trying to maybe achieve the American dream for the first time. You're just scaring the bleep out of them, putting them on a war footing instead of a productive footing. Here's Jim Clyburn with uh, Dana Bash from CNN doing his part to sow division. I want to ask you about something you said on Friday night in an interview with PBS. You said that you don't think President Trump would be willing to give up his office and that, quote, he thinks that the American people will be duped by him like the people of Germany were duped by Adolf Hitler. Do you really think Donald Trump is comparable to Adolf Hitler? What I said starting about two and a half, maybe three years ago after one of the State of the Unions, that I feel very strongly that this man has taken on a strong arm tactics. And I feel very strongly that he is Mussolini, Putin is Hitler. I said that back then, and I believe that. Strong arm tactics, like um, weaponizing the IRS to go after groups that he doesn't agree with, like uh, using sicking the intelligence services on the uh, Associated Press and other reporters who he doesn't believe, agree with, including wiretapping them, raiding their offices, etc. You know, sicking uh, intelligence services on political opponents who he doesn't agree with, hampering uh, future administrations. All those things that I'm listing now are things that President Obama did. President Trump talks a lot of smack. But he has not done nearly the stuff, the the the, the authoritarian authoritarian uh, gestures Clyburn is suggesting. Not nearly the the stuff. Not at all. He's a loudmouth and he tweets like a jerk. And he called up the the Ukrainian guy and maybe did a uh, a wink wink. Uh, you know, it would be behoove you to get the Biden stuff. You know, which I think was a good hit on Trump. By the way, I I. I think that they had every Congress had every right to slap him down for uh, for tampering in in that manner. But yeah, you know he did that, and a thousand people blew whistles on him, and he got busted for it. By the way, his predecessor, President Obama, did the same exact thing, except with Russia, who I'm told is a foe. I'm told it's a monolithic threat. But Obama did it. He got away with it. He didn't. Yeah, no, no. No, but, but Trump's a Nazi. A guy who spent his life, you know, essentially, you know, taking as much action in his, in, in as many entrepreneurial uh, endeavors as he can with the college, the stake, the board game, the books, the golf courses, the high rises, the hotels. This is a guy, that is his DNA. He's a builder of things. That's what he likes to do. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. But he's a builder of things. He likes to schmooze. He likes hanging out at Mar-a-Lago. He likes beautiful, maybe gaudy places and beautiful women. And he likes this country. He likes uh, capitalism. There's no doubt about that. He's not a studier of Mussolini. He's not a fan of fascism or socialism. He doesn't care about these things. He's not a fan of too many isms, but he's certainly shown that he's got an allegiance to the ism that's given him his lifestyle. And that is capitalism. And that is it. 
If you want to look deeper into his soul to suggest that he's got anything, he's taking forces out of the Middle East. He's trying to draw us down from Afghanistan. He's taking forces out of Germany. He's not expanding. Hitler, you know, drove across the Sudetenland. They blitzkrieged through Europe and Northern Africa. North Africa. There was no, there was not the same sensibilities from Trump. Trump said that he, if he feels the election was fixed, that he won't. You know, he first of all, he has no constitutional power to to not go. The new person's moving in if he gets beat. The new person's moving in January twentieth, whatever, of twenty twenty one. You know, he won't accept the loss. He said that he's, just like he did last time, he doesn't trust the system. He doesn't trust mail-in ba balloting. I don't think Trump should have said, should be tweeting stuff about that, about uh, about moving the election day. But he's a bleep-talk tweeter. He does it all the time. He can't move the election day. Can't do any of that stuff. If there is good reason to have concerns that all of our ballots, 140 ballot, 40 million ballots, are in the entrusted to the United States Postal Service, yeah, I have concerns about that too. But to say, uh, you know what? It's a nice Sunday. I'm going to stop yelling. Here's more Jim Clyburn, uh, making sure that his constituents stay scared. I believe very strongly that this guy never had an idea about being one to peacefully transfer power. I don't think he plans to leave uh, the White House. He doesn't plan to have fair and unfettered elections. He doesn't plan to leave the White House. What the hell? I, I, isn't Trump the guy who's criticized for, you know, going golfing 246 times and, and staying over at Mar-a-Lago 180 times or whatever it is? He loves to leave the White House. I don't think he likes the White House or Washington, other than this hotel. I believe that he plans to install himself uh, in some kind of emergency way uh, to continue to hold on to office. And that's why the American people had better wake up. That's why you're a psycho. He's going to install himself. As of today, I am now installed by... Uh, who's going to go? Who exactly is going to go along with that in the administration? Which is which will be you know legally out of power. Who's going to go out? Yeah, you know it seems like a good idea to try to stage a very uh, temporary coup. Uh, you know, and in spend the rest of my life uh, incarcerated, even if Trump wanted to, which he doesn't want to. But it's got to be the, the, these Democrats like Clyburn. They can't win on issues. They have to scare the hell out of voters, and that's what they do. So everything is dark, freaking clouds. I know a little bit about history, and I know how countries find their demise. It is when Jesus. we fail to let democracy and the fundamentals of which oh. is a fair, unfettered election, and that's why he's trying to put a cloud over this election, floating the idea of postponing the elections. Uh, always, always scare. Scare him, Jim. And I really feel uh, that the fundamentals are being frayed, and if we are not careful, this country that will be lost uh, for our next uh, generation, our children and our grandchildren. Well, it's, it's exactly the alarmism that you're using, which is fraying the country right now. If you look around, crime rates up 200% in some cities. You've destroyed the communities that we're all supposed to be advocating for this year. There's total chaos in some cities. There's violent rioting. This has been horrific. And when the American people say, hey, how come you're allowing people to burn down federal property and, and assault people in the middle of the night and assault law enforcement over in Portland and other places? How come you're allowing that? People like Jim Clyburn say, it's not happening. That's all you. That's a Republican game. No, no, no. It's not even happening. We see the images, but they're just gaslighting half of the country saying, no, no, it's not happening. Clyburn wants you to you know, uh, focus on the important stuff. It's about Nazis. I want to ask you about something you said on Friday night in an interview with PBS. You said that you don't think President Trump would be willing to give up his office and that, quote, he thinks that the American people will be duped by him like the people of Germany were duped by go. Adolf Hitler. 
Do you really think Donald Trump is comparable to Adolf Hitler? What I said started about two and a half, maybe three years ago after one of his State of the Unions, that I feel very strongly that this man has taken on a strong arm tactics. And I feel very strongly that he is Mussolini, Putin is Hitler. He's all three. Who would have thought? Who would have thought of this whole time? I thought he was a real estate guy from from Queens, New York. No, 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 no. He was something very, very far worse this whole time. That's the kind of stuff that took place after 1932 in Germany. This country could very well go the way of Germany in the 1930s. I really, seriously feel that. During his State of the Union address, Trump told 31 lies. 31. The people of Germany knew Adolf Hitler was lying. I know a little bit about history, and I know how countries find their demise. It is when we fail to let democracy and the fundamentals of which is a fair, unfettered election. And that's why he's trying to put a cloud over this election, floating the idea of postponing the elections. He's going to install himself. We've already said it. We know he's going to install himself. He's Hitler, Mussolini, and Putin. He's all three. And it's not just old, uh, you know, uh, veteran reps like Jim Clyburn who know this. Remember 2019's darling Beto O'Rourke also knew. Uh, Is that not going too far to make a comparison between the president of the United States and the Nazis? Find me a better analogy of another leader of a Western democracy describing all people of one religion as inherently defective or disqualified or dangerous. And that's what the president has done when it comes to Muslims, seeking to ban all Muslims from this country. First of all, that's not true, Beto. he, He didn't say that about Muslims. He didn't try to ban all Muslims from the country. He tried to get a travel ban from coming into this country until we know what the hell is going on because we had a little problem uh, with terrorism. By the way, the previous president had a similar travel ban. Repeating the lie that Mexican immigrants pose a a violent risk to this country, calling them animals and predators. That was MS-13. MS-13. Vicious butcher gangs of MS-13. I actually mentioned this one time recently and somebody said... That, does that mean that they're not that they're animals still? MS-13, I think you can call them animals. It doesn't matter where they are from. The gang is vicious. ...and rapists and having a, an almost Nuremberg-like rally where people are chanting... Nuremberg. So there you go, by the way. Beto, young, cool, last year Vanity Fair told us that he was Jack Kerouac. He was going to be the next president. They love He's a rock star in Texas. So anybody who... And the guy had... All sorts of social media uh, followers, etc. He's an influencer. Remember how influencers? He's telling everybody that not only is is Donald Trump, he's certainly a Nazi, absolutely. But remember, remember anybody from Mexico, anybody Hispanic, he called you animals. And remember, uh, he wants he wants all the Muslims out of the country. People trust Beto. I don't know how, but people actually trust this guy and believe what he's saying. No wonder why people are freaking throwing Molotov cocktails at federal agents. Send her back uh, or inviting the kind of violence based on the racism that he's inspired where you have a racism. There you go. Maybe we should have the music for this, actually. And it's a good song, too. Another crowd uh, cheering when someone says shoot them when the president asks, what do we do about these immigrants? It doesn't just offend the our crowd sensibilities. Said something it poses rude. a violent risk to our fellow Americans. 22 shot dead in El Paso, Texas by a gunman inspired by the president of the United States. I remember but him. you understand the criticism when you make any comparisons to the Holocaust and the Nazis that, that you know, that, it that, is, that compar- is simply, at least most people say that is unacceptable. It's the comparison of last resort and, and that's where we are. And, and I don't mean go. the last resort politically or the last resort the in real terms last resort. of defeating the president in November, Grab them all but the last cocktail. resort for this country that is descending into an open racism and intolerance and violence led Jesus. by the president. Now, whether he said what, what, what it, whether it's what he said about Muslims or immigrants or the way he treats women of color in this country or the fact that he described Klansmen and neo-Nazis as very fine people, uh, not um, true. we can't fail to connect the dots and draw the conclusion about the danger that President Trump 
poses to this country. So take to the streets right now, blow something up, go beat the crap out of somebody, throw something at a cop. Jesus. How ridiculously destructive is the rhetoric of these people. Incredible. Incredible. And that was before all this happened. That's Beto from like October or something. That was last year. That was before all this stuff happened. That's just one. We hear it all the time. You don't have to say it. People say Trump, Nazi all the time. People say racism, uh, white supremacy all the time. The, 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 they had to bring, they had to give a field promotion to the term white supremacy because racism was diminishing in its, its uh, efficacy because it's used so damn much. Racist, 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 white supremacist, racist. Now, white supremacist, it used, to be, it used to be 10 years ago, you would have to try hard to find a white supremacist. supremacist. They were skinheads in, like, uh, Montana somewhere, a little band of them. You know, they talk about them, you know, every four or, or so, uh, like, uh, overnight radio show might, uh, you know, talk about them, these guys. Nobody knew anything about them. Nobody knew any. Now everybody's one. It's incredible. And we should not accept it. I don't accept I don't accept the current cultural definition of racism. I don't accept it because it's constantly changing and it changes and redefines itself in order to indict and inflict political or cultural personal professional harm upon people. I don't, and I don't accept white supremacist. Richard Spencer, I think, is a white supremacist. Uh, that uh, Zena Marchant's friend uh, over there in the uh, in the Violence in Boston group, uh, she's an Afro supremacist, and she's very she's very uh, open about it. Do I have those cuts here somewhere? It'd be nice if I did this kind of thing beforehand, wouldn't it? Um, but you know th- this. All of this, this rhetoric is just, it's so dangerous. It's so, so, so dangerous. Do I not have it? Oh, maybe I don't. Oh, that stinks. I'm sorry about that. It's probably good that I don't. She just essentially just says all sorts of racist stuff. And it, when I say racist, I mean demeaning to a race based on uh, the characteristic of the race, suggesting that uh, one race is superior over the over another race. That's what I mean. I mean literally racist. I don't mean because I want the I don't think that the minimum wage should go up to fifteen dollars racist, which you'll be called racist for now. I'm glad Beto's gone though. No president Beto. No no vice president nod. You know who's getting the vice president nod is Karen Bass. And she was on the T V today. So she's a big or was a big Castro lover. She's big into Castro. No, Castro's have several problems. Uh, Fidel Castro, he's dead now, of course. But the island is, um, first of all, they, they've been a terrorist sponsor before. They've, uh, they've uh, after the bloody revolution, he oppressed and murdered people and locked people up. He's a dictator, a blood-soaked dictator, a vicious person, a scoundrel, and a, uh, a despot. He's a, Castro was a bad guy. He did a lot of bad things, and you, you know, talk to some people who were uh, who, some Cubans uh, about it, who managed to get here and you know get to safety. But he's a bad guy. But that said, so in so Karen Bass is in Congress. She is a black woman. Um, Biden has pledged to pick a woman, and now it's all but certain that he's going to pick a black woman. It's been decided that he has to pick a black woman by media and progressive culture now. So it's been decided. So Karen uh, Bass, she's uh, been a Castro fan, said some nice things about Castro, about opening relations with Cuba, whatever. And today she uh, went on the uh, one of the Sunday shows to explain herself. A message about about Cuba, about Castro's death six years or four years ago in 2016. Uh, shouldn't you have known by then that that Castro's death was not a great loss to the Cuban people? I I absolutely would have not put that statement out. And I will tell you that after talking to my colleagues who represent the state of Florida, raised those concerns with me, lesson learned, would not do that again, for sure. (laughs) That's one way to answer it. 
So his, you know, I, I've always loved Castro. I think he's a great guy. You know, I wish we could be more like them and open up uh, and make sure we open up trade with with Cuba. And Castro's my, uh, you know, I'm a fan girl for Castro. But I asked a couple of colleagues, he is awesome, right? And they said, no, as a matter of fact, he's not. So now I've changed my mind. You know, there was no way to know anything about Castro before this, before you were running for vice president. So I don't know too much about Karen Bass. Um, it seems to me that at this point in the world, with how much the world has unraveled and um, the eruption of progressive psychotic uh, tsunami, how do I finish this, uh, this description off? I'm already stuck on a ledge here. Tsunami-ish-ism. Okay, that's what I'm doing. Um, that to be a Castro-loving leftist now in America is not that left. <laughs> I know it was just a few years ago, like Jim McGovern in Massachusetts. There's a lot of people who just like these communists. And um, compared to these psychotics now who are want to defund the police and get rid of law enforcement and who call law enforcement racist from front to back and the criminal justice system racist from front to back and who want the Green New Deal, which would put us in a permanent depression and have us living as if it were 1810. Uh, I'll, I'll take the Castro people. If that's who... I'll take the Castro people these days. They're the, they're the more sane Democrats. That's where we are. But to this thing where we're picking somebody where Biden has to pick a black woman to be vice president. I think that there, you could say that having a black woman be vice president could be a positive thing for black women to see that a black woman can be president. I don't know who thinks a black woman can't be president. I don't know who thinks, well, because this person will be president because Biden's going to step aside or, you know, She'll be president. You know what I mean. Um, I mean, we just had a black president. I don't see how they're, why you would need that. But it's what's dangerous about this is that it's really a, it's a racist thing. <laughs> if you're going by the, if we go only, only by um, the results. So if we've been, if, if the White House has been historically, white and that is a systemic racism problem which has to be cured by having a black woman in there well then what you're saying right now if you have to have a black woman in there is that the most qualified if the most qualified woman to be vice president right now is an asian woman no because of your skin color you can't do it if the most qualified woman right now is a hispanic woman no tough if it's a Persian woman, no, tough. Jewish woman, no, tough. Doesn't matter. You know, if if you're if. So you're saying no to all of these other categories, you know, um, identity categories of women. You're saying absolutely to an Asian woman right now, no, you can't do it. It's not your time because your skin color is wrong. And as a matter of fact, you're saying to all men, it's not your time at all because your gender is wrong. And that's, I believe, sexist. And I believe all the other stuff would be considered um, racist. Maybe the most qualified woman is a black woman. Maybe the most qualified person is a, is a, is a black woman. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's Karen Bass. Who knows? But to have to have the requirement be a certain racial identity exclusively, thus excluding all other racial identities, seems to me that's a violation. Seems to me that is by definition a racist notion and a racist endeavor. And I thought we were supposed to get get away from that stuff. <sighs> but I thought a lot of things. So, just so you know, we are in trouble again. Um, 
for well, okay, if you live in Massachusetts, you already know you're in trouble because we've had um oh, oh, Friday we were told by our governor, Governor Charlie Baker, uh that they're going to be looking at some parties that happened. They're going to be investigating some parties that are thought to have spread the coronavirus in Massachusetts. So they will be looking at uh, there's a party in Chelmsford and like ten others or so investigating these parties. Now, Massachusetts had its spike in deaths three months ago, essentially, is when uh, when we spiked. And that's when we lost our thousands, really. You know, 8,000 people a couple of months ago. And now we're like 8,700 or whatever. So the death rate obviously has petered off. But it, the spike happened. A spike happened. Maybe there's plenty of spikes to come, but it doesn't look like it because more people are surviving. But we already hit our trouble area a few months ago. New York hit theirs at the same time. A few months ago, they lost 32,000. They're still losing some here and there. Now, the cases are rising, that's right, but people are surviving now. So the damage happened. The killer came in the house and killed people and has left, essentially. But now they're doing this thing where where now we're still coming down on people in Massachusetts. We are still we want to make sure that nobody does we're I mean it's it's funny like we're we're if this is a baseball game, we essentially let up, let up 27 runs in the first inning and now it's the 7th inning and now the manager's making sure that he's still, you know, making sure that pitchers aren't uh, don't go to a high pitch count, and he's still being very showing that he's, uh, you know, he's putting the shift on in the in the field, and he's being very strategic with pinch hitters and pinch runners, whatever. He's just showing you what a good manager he is. Meanwhile, in the first inning, we let up twenty seven runs, so this game is finito. We've lost this one. We were one of the states in Massachusetts and New York who dropped the ball. On the coronavirus. We were ready for the enemy to come in one theater and it snuck around and hit us in another theater, namely nursing homes, veterans, facilities, etc. Now we're going through the, the motions by investigating these house parties as some kind of per performance art. And it's supposed to suggest that we need to su sustain, it's supposed to suggest that we need to sustain the success, in quotes, that we've had when we've really already failed. So for the number of deaths per 1,000 people from the coronavirus, the leader right as of right now is New Jersey, 178 per 1,000. New York was 168 per uh, uh, sorry, 100,000. Massachusetts was 125 per 100,000. Then Rhode Island was 95 per 100,000. Then we go out of the Northeast. Um, Louisiana was 84. Then D.C. was 83. Florida was 31. So Florida, they've got many, many more cases, and they've got, I think they've got up to 7,000 maybe now deaths. Oh, actually, I think I do have it here somewhere. Um, Florida has 7,000 deaths. They have had 480,000 confirmed cases. California has 9,300 deaths. They have 510,000 confirmed cases. That's of a state with 29 million people. So the death rate considers... Con continues to fall unfortunately deaths still you know increase overall but what happened here in massachusetts was not was not a victory or certainly new york new york was that was ridiculous and it was a policy driven thing you know it was uh, chris Cuo andrew Cuomo forcing sick patient patients back into nursing homes you know all this stuff but that doesn't stop Chris Cuomo on CNN for ye from yelling at you. This president went to Florida and warned people about an obvious danger. So I just want to thank everybody here. Be careful a little bit tonight. It's a pretty big storm. I don't know if it's going to be a hurricane or not, but it's a storm. It's significant. It was good for him to go and mention a potential hurricane. But he said nothing to them about the catastrophe that is already hitting them this very second.
standing in front of a maskless crowd, all jammed in together, including law enforcement behind him, also close together, no masks anywhere. You tell me that this is a man who gives a damn about people getting sick. No masks anywhere. At one point he says, shame, shame. And this is nothing new. Cuomo's been telling everybody, you better stay home. Remember, he had COVID and he was very good, so you better be too. All right, so while most Americans are staying inside, or should be, right, if they're not out protesting like fools, they're not happy about being told to stay home. Staying home saves lives. And the rest of us should be staying at home for our mothers and the people that we love. And to keep us farther apart will ultimately bring us closer together in this cause. No matter where the virus goes, the way to stop it will always be the same. Our collective conscientious actions, staying home. Staying home, like he did, right? Well, not so much. Remember, back in April, during the apex for New York of the deaths, remember who didn't stay home? While he had the coronavirus, Cuomo... And a bunch of family members and a, other hangers-on go visit their Hamptons mansion he's building. No mask, no nothing. When a guy on a bike is walking past or, or riding past and stops and says, um, says, uh, yeah, I'm just looking at the new house, Cuomo turns around and it essentially it verbally assaults the guy. Holy smokes, it's Chris Cuomo. And I just said, don't you have the coronavirus? Shouldn't you be quarantined? And uh, I think his next words were, uh, what the hell do you know about this? What do you know about the rules? He continued to come closer and closer. And uh, I like to say he was like a, uh, a, 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 a boiling pot. You could see his head just getting, he was getting more and more angry, you know, Basically, I just said, you have yeah. coronavirus. What are you doing out here? You're supposed to be home. <laughs> and then at one point I said, you know, I'm moving on. You know, I said, you're not supposed to be out here. Nobody had gloves on. Nobody had masks on. <laughs> no gloves, no masks. No. Same guy, no gloves, no masks, happy to, didn't quarantine while having the coronavirus was out and about because he's Chris Cuomo and he can do whatever the hell he wants. And then has his brother on and they have this love fest thing where his brother, who was policy, is responsible for the deaths of people. <clears throat> it's incredible. And up here, we're, we're in the Northeast. By the way, Cuomo, of course, then goes on, after he saw that guy, goes on his serious radio show and throws down. I don't want some jack loser, fat tire biker um, to be able to pull over uh, and get in my face and in my space and talk to me. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, Cuomo got in the guy's face. It wasn't the other way around. We've seen this before. But... It's just that these northeast states who are, have this attitude, like they did something so right, we did it so well, you know, and that's why we're so important, and that's why, um, you know, Seth Bolton says about the other states where the, the where the people are dying down south, they're getting what was coming to them, you know, because they're not good like us up here in the north, where there's a, almost nine thousand dead in Massachusetts, thirty three thousand dead in New York. I we just gave you the totals. It's the death rate was much worse. We bumbled it. We effed it up up here. That is the fact, okay? Mask or not, somehow we managed to kill thousands up here. Or thousands managed to managed to die. Many people, stories that I've read and people I've talked to who got the disease were, were socially distant and wore masks. And it still got them. The fact is we don't really know how effective these masks are. We don't know how airborne or not airborne this thing is. There's a huge conflict as to whether some of the treatments work or don't. But for act, us to act like we did something right up here, good up here. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was told, yeah, they had an outbreak over in uh, Chatham or whatever. And because all lifeguards were hanging out and having fun and it could kill grandma for doing it. And there was an outbreak. Yeah, but there was an, an outbreak. But an outbreak, if nobody dies, doesn't really matter, does it? 
at the same time, at the same time, all of these people, including our governor, including Cuomo, praise these protests of tens of thousands, you know, many protests which turned into riots with people shouting and no, not everybody wore masks. I know that there was a head count taken somewhere where somebody thought that even if they were, there's no way you can keep spittle while you're screaming at cops. You can't keep spittle contained. But we're told there was absolutely no bump. Nope, there was no bump that had anything to do with that. You know, it's only when red state people go out that they get it. And those people... They're getting what was coming to them. Yes, they're getting what was coming to them. The truth could be... We all have it coming to that could be the truth. The, the truth could be that this thing does whatever the hell it wants, and you can wear a mask and go on Facebook and complain about people who aren't wearing masks, but if this thing has your number, it has your number. I wear a mask, so if I do die, I know that you know that the people love to show dead people, celebrate and laugh at the idea that uh, it, it's somebody who was a anti-mask person uh, died from the disease. It, makes, it warms the hearts of all the really good people on social media. But if I do die, by the way, I wear a mask, okay? So I did my thing. Okay, I did what I was supposed to. Oh, but they had fun on CNN, you know, redirecting the tragic death of Herman Cain right on to the president. I'm just wondering what happened in the White House, knowing that Herman Cain went to that Tulsa rally. Okay, the Tulsa rally that the medical experts in Tulsa did not want the president to hold because they knew it would be dangerous. Rallies, protests. The medical experts said you shouldn't hold it because it could be dangerous. The same people said that going out and protesting and Molotov cocktail, all that stuff, that stuff's just fine. That stuff's good. As a matter of fact, that's good for your health. Okay. By the way, CNN was happy to be at those protests, Black Lives Matter protests, where Don Lemon was talking to his reporter and a big bottle of champagne flies by the, by the guy's head and smashes. And Don says, don't worry, they weren't throwing it at me. I mean, the reporter says, don't worry, they weren't throwing it at me. They were just throwing it at police. says, oh, it's okay. That was fine. The unmasked people there, that was absolutely fine. Nobody condemned it because everybody was scared to death. But, oh, the Trump rally. No, no, no. There's The, the virus knows the meaning and themes of these rallies. And it knew it had a good hosts at that Trump rally. He went as a healthy 74-year-old man. He was not sick. He was not positive for coronavirus that day. Then, a month later, he is dead. Is there any feeling inside the White House of responsibility, of yeah. guilt, of connection to this? This is Maggie Haberman who's about to answer this. She's going to answer on behalf of the people in the White House, even though she is a reporter, a very anti-Trump, virulent activist anti-trump reporter she'll tell you what the thinking is inside the white house this is not how the, this is not how the white house has handled it in fact you've seen the president say not that long ago i think it was a few days ago that he's known several friends who passed away from COVID and one who was was close to the end i i have to assume he was talking about herman cain um the White House continues to have a very blinded view of all of this. They do not look at actions they have taken as having an impact on people getting sick, whether that's the Tulsa rally, whether it's a lack of sufficient testing across the country, whether it is the lack of a national plan to combat this. And this incident with Herman Cain, which is obviously tragic, is uh, no different. Trump killed him. That's what they're saying, essentially. That's it. Maggie Haberman from the New York Times. Yep. And still... Also, just goes to in I will give some credibility to to what you said as far as the testing goes. There's plenty of testing. They seem to be having a problem processing the tests at the CDC. Clean house. And if you want to say that that's part of the executive branch and that means Trump, that's fine. He, he should take the hit on that. He's the guy right now. So you know, the guy at the top is the guy. But this, we by the way, well, how it's so like now a certainty that Herman Cain died from the Trump rally. It's absolutely, nobody has to debate that. He absolutely died there. Even if nobody else there had the COVID, he absolutely died from that. And the, the media is not letting that one go. They're enjoying it too much. So as far as unrest goes, I just happened to bump into, while well, grabbing somebody, I would just bump into this, this piece of breaking news from 2017, just as the administration was getting started. Actually, this is, this might be the, this is, I think it's 20, or this might be during the transition. This might be before Trump actually 
Yeah, this is this is as the as the this is January of 2017, I think, as the administration is just about to get started. This is the mainstream news with the most trusted people on earth telling you about something. A CNN exclusive, CNN has learned that the nation's top intelligence officials provided information to President-elect Donald Trump and to President Barack Obama last week about claims of Russian efforts to compromise President-elect Trump. The information was provided as part of last week's classified intelligence briefings regarding Russian efforts to undermine the U.S. elections. I've been working on this story with Jim Shudo and Evan Perez and Carl Burns. So, you know, this intelligence briefing is a briefing that they did and then Trump thought he was being briefed, was actually being investigated. This is about the Russian dossier, something that these guys, including Peter Strzok in the, in, in the intelligence services, already knew was crap. They knew it was it was fraudulent. They knew it was crap. A lot of it was Russian disinformation that was made up. Um, the the dossier, dossier was not something was originally and they knew was contracted from um, from a political hit firm that does oppo research and um, and originally it was Republican oppo research then it became uh, then the Democrats took it over on doing the bidding for for Hillary and the DNC and they expanded then more into the Russia part of it and it became the salacious thing with the golden shower and all that stuff. This is CNN reporting as if this any of this was fact. You know, Jim Comey played a big part in spreading this stuff and getting it out to the press. We already know that. We know now that everybody knew in the in the government, in the intelligence services, that there was nothing to any of this stuff. They used the same dossier dossier to and they're laundering it now through the press to make it seem like it's something that's more real and to embarrass and humiliate Trump. But also, you know, that way they use the same dossier as if it was real, to get FISA warrants. In other words, to wiretap and unmask uh, people around Trump so that they could get something on them or, and have them flip on Trump, and then you essentially have got a coup. We've all been working on this, and they all join me now. Uh, so let me start with my colleague, Jim Shuto. Jim, walk us through... Jim Shuto, former Obama staffer. ...what we've learned. I want to be very pre precise here. Multiple U.S. officials with direct knowledge of the briefings tell CNN that classified documents on Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. election presented last week to President Obama and to President-elect Trump included allegations that Russian operatives claimed to have compromising personal and financial information about Mr. Trump. The allegations were part of a two-page synopsis. These were based on memos compiled by a former British intelligence operative whose past work U.S. intelligence officials consider credible. The FBI is past now investigating... They the know he was a big anti-Trump guy. The they know that he had nothing for them whatsoever. This was absolute crap. Trump knew it was crap. Trump said, uh, listen, I want you... Comey, this is nonsense. You know it's nonsense. I want you to let people know that you're not investigating me. Of course, Comey was investigating him. He wouldn't know. let them know that. Comey fi I mean, Trump fires Comey. That triggers the firing of Comey, of course. That then triggers the um, special prosecutor, Robert Mueller, and he picks up these crumbs right where they left off. He immediately knew a few months later that they had nothing. There was nothing to connect Trump to any of this stuff, but he got a few scalps, and he got to hamper the administration and write a damning uh, report, which showed clearly and stated clearly that there was no coordination between the, between the Trump campaign and the Russians. There was no coordinated coordination between the Trump administration and the Russians. It said that it, literally in the uh, Mueller report. They then contend that there were several times uh, process violations where, where Trump, during the, during the investigation, the fraudulent investigation, um, where people... And Trump himself may have broken the law, process crimes, you know, it may have lied to this. So then they that's supposed to be enough to impeach him on it for uh, for Congress. All this ancillary stuff, the result of their fake their fake investigation, you know, was to harangue Trump. And during the haranguing, if they could get anybody in or, in or around the uh, inner circle to break some kind of law, like lying to the FBI, which is, for some people, a crime, for other people, not, um, then uh, then they could, you know, make those people flip 
on Trump and you know and get him for something. And that was the whole idea behind the thing, and it was disgusting. I do think that probably some people in the intelligence services, some of them just, well, some of them we know what it was about. Two more hogs got the fever. Yeah, some of them just got the fever, and you can tell by some of the texts and communiques we've seen in, in, in the intel services that they were just, they'd gone nuts and were hysterical because Trump was was going to win. And some probably thought, maybe thought, that that Trump might, could possibly have um, connections to Russians. Maybe he's taking a, a bribe. Maybe he's, you know, maybe somebody was controlling him. They thought there's a chance, and so they rolled the dice saying, okay, we're going to at least investigate him. We'll stay on him. Hillary will win. We won't be held account if we if we don't find anything for, for launching this investigation, even though it's fraudulent. Then Trump won, and all they, their best bet was to get Trump on defense because there would be a reckoning for the investigation, and so they sick Mueller on him. And anything Trump does to try to make heads roll for illegally harassing him will be look like it's pushback, and manipulating the investigation by Mueller will look like will look bad for Trump, and maybe will be considered un- unlawful. But that just that was the media. The last three years would have been so different, so different had the media not said that like it was true. And now they just dropped it. When that didn't work out, bang, we'll go with uh, Ukraine. You know, the, the template for the impeachment was already there. So all, all they just needed was to feed something new into the template. Schiff already had the speeches ready. But that, how disgusting. And that's what happens. And now there are people who stop paying attention. There are still people who mention Russia as if it's a thing, as if it was ever a thing. But that's sowing more discord into the streets, creating more division in America so that people see somebody with a Trump sign and they think, oh my God, no person who's morally intact could have a Trump sign. Trump's a traitor to the country over and, over and above being a racist and a um, you know rapist and everything else that they call him. So they act terrible to each other. One of the biggest dividers of all is Barack Obama. He always has been in in his administration, especially towards the second term. He just became cynical, and he would just say these vicious, horrific, venomous things to to divide people. And he'd do it in a nice, soft way, but man, vicious. A few days ago, he took the uh, occasion of John Lewis's funeral, one of the funerals, to sow more division in the streets and in the hearts of mind uh, of America. We have to be vigilant against the dark occurrence of this country's history, of our own history, with their whirlpools of violence and hatred and despair that can always rise again. Bull Connor may be gone, but today we witness with our own eyes police officers kneeling on the necks of black Americans. In other words, Bull Connor's not gone. They're all over the place. It's the police. They're everywhere. They're the new Bull Connor. George Wallace may be gone, but we can witness our federal government sending agents to use tear gas and batons against peaceful demonstrators. Peaceful demonstrators! Can you imagine that? So what you're seeing, what you're seeing in Portland, you know, uh, out of nowhere, uninspired by nothing, the tear gas, the same tear gas that George Wallace used and the German shepherds and the batons and the things they used to beat those people back in the 60s, those are being used right now in Portland against similar noble protesters. What a dangerous thing to say. What a dangerous distortion and lie. That's a lie. CNN likes to talk about how Donald Trump lies or says without proof. There's a lie for you right there, meant to divide people and scare people, to make them think that the the stuff that happened in the Edmund Pettus Bridge is happening right now in, uh, in Portland, Oregon. And it's a lie. The thuggery in Portland, Oregon is upscale white kids acting as terrorists trying to harm people in federal buildings that's what's happening and when and they're trying to <clears throat> smoke them out light the place on fire when the cops come out they try to beat them 
That's what's happening in Portland. If you don't listen to the show, uh, the the podcast, The Fifth Column, you, I, I would suggest it a lot. It's hosted by Matt Welch, who's with Reason Magazine, and Michael Moynihan, who's actually from Massachusetts, who's uh, with Vice News, and Kamel Foster. He's kind of the uh, host. <coughs> and, um, and the guest they had on was Nancy Rommelman. She writes for like New York Magazine, or the Times Magazine, I think. And uh, some other stuff. She's really good. I heard her. She was on the podcast and she was really good. And she talked a little bit with the guys about what's happening in Portland and what it looks like, the sights and sounds on the streets in Portland. Compare that to what Obama describes as innocent protesters being beat on. To be clear about this, every day, at least some protesters, low hundreds minimum, are going to federal buildings and trying to attack them not trying they are attacking it yeah well yeah but sometimes they're trying because they've been failing but like they're well, attacking I mean, federal buildings every every and, night they are attacking the buildings they're and throwing there might be setting fires there might be uh people inside there might not no okay so the 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 cop that the justice center at snake story they're kind of leaving the justice center alone that's the one i wrote the story about the woman that was underneath okay they're attacking only the federal i mean the, the justice center looks like it's covered with right. you know, graffiti, I think. But I mean, they'd, they'd there have already been fires there, right? Yes, that was yeah. where they did set fires the, the, on, on May 29th. It, did they also barricade the door when that fire was set? Uh, well, they broke into, there was all like plate glass windows and mm -hmm. they broke in and they destroyed the entire thing. They've okay. moved half of the workers out to another center now. Right. And the first floor is done. Mm -hmm. It's just had to be gutted. They're on Beaverton? Yeah, no, yeah. they're in something, Iverness, I think it's by the airport. I, I don't know exactly where it is. No, where they're, they're going now is the federal building. That is where all the wrath is. The federal, the, you know, DHS, border control, whatever other Homeland Security people, they're in that building. That's where they are every night and they wait. And I suspect I know the answer to this, but but explain to people why that one building is the target of everyone's wrath. Be well, because it's the federal building and federal forces moved in to protect the building and to protect monuments under but, executive but before, order. But before the feds came in, they were attacking it too, They right? were, but not as much. Yeah. They were because for, it's next door. It's monolithic. It's symbolic. Yeah. We hate Trump. But people are bringing uh batons and someone i think they said the you, some of, when you say people are bringing batons you these mean are demonstrators. these are demonstrators yes okay yeah. so apparently some somebody bought molotov cocktails last night one of the demonstrators i saw them with a i saw a guy walking around with a chainsaw they are shooting these like super high powered lasers like into people's eyes they're trying to and these actually these green ones yeah. if you if you apparently like shoot if there's this helicopter. It was like super high up. And mm -hmm. someone said to me, well, that's because if you, you can get charged with attempted murder, if you shoot a guy in the eye, that's flying because he can't, then he's going to crash his plane. Mm. So they're not. And I mean, yeah, they're throwing like cans of beans and all this stuff too, but they're not kidding around and they've got momentum. Right. They've got momentum. She had said at one point, that's Nancy Rass, what's her? Nancy Rommelman, Rommelman. Uh, and she said uh, also that um, that it had gone from the hundreds really to the thousands at night now, and that uh, they <clears throat> it, she suspects it'll get more violent. But there's not that it's not a nonviolent thing happening every night there in Portland. For people to say it is is gaslighting. It's cynical. It's lying, and it's dangerous. And it's part of the great unraveling and the great uh, disinformation move. And what's what's horrible is it's also part of the great division and these dividers um i mean there should be a reckoning for these dividers at some point it, what they've done to foment this uh this anxiety and this uh these altercations and the to destabilize the country has been horrific hopefully something can happen if we just keep talking about this stuff and uh you know airing out the truth here, then we can all come together and we can be, uh, you know, politically we can be uh, at odds and that's fine. That's how life is. But to have to have such animus between Americans right now is an unhealthy for a democracy, especially with an election coming up. We've got to be better. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please uh, follow me on Twitter at Tom Shattuck. And uh, you can go to TomShattuck.com, although it needs to be 
updated. This is some stuff there. I really appreciate everybody listening. Seriously, I think it's I think it's great, and I'm I'm thrilled and surprised, and I'll try to keep doing these things, and I'll try to get better and better and better. Especially with those intros. What am I doing? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.